This is a Chronicle podcast, bringing you ideas in the service of medicine. From the Chronicle podcast system, this is the NPC podcast of the National Pharmaceutical Congress for May 18, 2022. The NPC podcast was created to discuss and consider the purpose, process and people of the pharma industry during the COVID era. We'll continue the healthcare conversation by answering questions sent by listeners. Just like you. This program is presented in cooperation with Imprez, Canada's next generation commercial partner. The industry is rapidly evolving, and Imprez is designed to help you evolve with it. Learn more about Imprez tailored best-in-class solutions at www.imprez.com. Our guest today is Jim Hall, Senior Vice President and General Manager at Covis Pharma. Jim will join your hosts, Jim, Mark, and Mitch. Let's start the conversation. Here's Mitch Shannon, CEO of Chronicle Companies. Hello and welcome to the NPC podcast from the National Pharmaceutical Congress. I'm your co-host, Mitch Shannon. Coming to you from our legendary podcast, Gondola, high in the rafters over center ice, where we're pleased to be in the company of Mark McElwain, the life sciences industry consultant and senior health policy expert. Mark, since we're inevitably going to talk about the heartbreak of Saturday night's Leafs game, last of the season, as it turns out, let me first ask if you've seen the first episodes of Shorzy. Do you know Shorzy? No, I can't say I'm craving to see it either. Ah, play on words. Yep. But the series is big news up here. Apparently, it's going to shore up the local cultural sector. And of course, this is the city where there's a statue of Stompa Tom Connors in the downtown. In case it's not obvious to listeners, Mark is coming to us today from Sudbury, Ontario. And we'll say hello to James Shea, General Manager at the Council for Continuing Pharmaceutical Education in Montreal. Uh, Jim, how would you describe the overall state of the playoffs in the year 2022? Well, I don't know. I'm kind of getting upset with this line of questioning because this is the second time you've asked me. And, you know, as a Habs fan, I'm living a little bit in the past watching PVR 2021 playoffs. And apparently I just watched the Habs beat the uh, Leafs in game seven. So, you know, it's going. What, what, too soon? Well, too soon. I, I have that same game replayed every night in my dreams, Jim, so... But that mystery voice has to be identified. So hold that thought, please, mystery voice. Altogether, we are your Kitty Bar the Door podcast hosts known as Jim, Mark, and Mitch, because all the really clever names were taken, such as Fred Cyclone Taylor or the Winnipeg Whips. Gentlemen, we have a friend of the National Pharma Congress now entering the gondola. It's Jim Hall of Covis Pharma. Hi, Jim. Hey, Mitch. How you doing? Pretty good. Was that your voice I heard before you were introduced? Yeah, it was. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> You know, I'm a diehard, was a diehard Leaf fan up until last night. I think I'm, I'm done. We prize your enthusiasm along with your industry expertise. So you're the Senior Vice President and General Manager at Covis Pharma. That's an 11-year-old pharma company focused on serious chronic diseases based in Luxembourg and founded by a venture capital firm. Tell us more about Covis. What's the vision for the organization? Yeah, Covis has been around as an entity for about 10 years, but in Canada, about three years. So we started up in Canada with two really good products in the market and have been going strong ever since. You know, we have a, we have a pretty small, nimble company. That's sort of our approach. We're looking to build our business really in two areas in, in respiratory therapies 
and then in oncology specialty care primarily. Great. It's Jim Shea here. You're a seasonal instructor and potentially a seasoned instructor at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. Maybe you can tell us about this experience. Were you teaching a class during COVID-19 at its peak? And what are your thoughts on online learning? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've been teaching at the course once or twice a year. It's just one course a term. It's really the only course I'm qualified to teach, which is a course in the healthcare stream at McMaster and the MBA and BDC programs, really on the pharmaceutical industry. But I love it. It's great. It's great to connect with the students. They're brilliant. They're smart. We actually have one of them working with us right now. She was one of my students about two and a half years ago. She's now heading up part of our marketing team. So she's done really well. The pandemic was tough, you know, it was, it was hard teaching people online, not really seeing them in the, in the eyes, looking them in the eyes. It was easy to hide. There were, you know, you had to call people out sometimes to get them to participate. I didn't enjoy it as much. I like connecting with the students, you know, personally, like in the room, in the classroom. So it wasn't all that enjoyable for me. I plan to teach again this fall and I'm pretty much going to not do it if it's online again. I'll probably let them know. I just, you know, I'm not interested, but I think it will be in person. Last fall, it was both. So it was in person and online. And that was pretty tricky to kind of engage the class in person and then also try and engage people online. So we'll see. I mean, we're all in uncharted ground here. So I'm hoping that it's back live and in person and then it'll be a lot of fun. Jim, it's Mark. So talking about in-person events, you recently attended the Bloom Burton and Company Healthcare Investor Conference. Can you share your thoughts about this year's event? Yeah, well, first of all, I thought it was really great for you know to be back in, in a big conference with a lot of industry people, a lot of people that focused on healthcare, a lot of you know people that I know and some new people that I met. That was really exciting, that in-person interaction. I thought the lineup of companies that Bloom Burton put together were excellent. So I, I really enjoyed it, as I always do, sitting in a lot of the presentations and hearing about their strategies, where they're headed, what their challenges are, what they're looking for in terms of support and financing. So that was good. We're, we're an acquiring company, so we weren't really there to you know, provide financing for someone or to out-license products. We were looking for companies that we could either partner with in markets, maybe that are underserved or that might be looking to license products. So we met with a few companies that had that interest and we've got some follow-up to do. So overall, I thought it was just great to get out and be with everybody. And it was a great meeting in terms of connecting and uncovering opportunities. Jim, so based on conversations you might've had during that conference, how would you say that Covis Pharma fared during the pandemic relative to your peers in life sciences? Yeah, I mean, it was a really challenging period, Mark. I mean, uh, I guess as we all know, in this industry, interacting with physicians and pharmacists and nurses and nurse practitioners, all, all that different healthcare professionals that, that we support, that we bring value to, that prescribe our products, that care for the patients that use our products, you know, interacting with them is critical to our business. And that was difficult. That was really challenging, particularly in the respiratory field. You know, ironically, we thought that our business would do well because, you know, COVID is a respiratory disease. And our thinking was, well, if you have asthma, you're going to get your script filled. But it turned out that nobody was getting asthma attacks or colds or anything like that because everybody was isolating. So on the one hand, that's a good thing for general, people's general health. It, it was really difficult for our business. So 
it was hard. It was hard for our reps to see people, you know, reps are built to be in front of their customers. That's what they love to do. That's how they're motivated. They're not really good at staying at home in front of a computer all day long. So it became by year two, it became really difficult, but you know, we managed to keep people focused, motivated together. We brought our business in pretty strongly. And this year things are really starting to bounce back. People are getting back out and about seeing physicians, et cetera. But, you know, we, we learned different ways of working. You know, we learned obviously to do digital interactions more than we've ever done. I think the industry needed that kick in the pants to do that more fully. Because, you know, ever since I've been around, we've been talking about it, but not really done it well. And there, there's some things I think that'll stay. I, I don't think e-detailing will really stay in any great extent. It'll be an augmentation of face-to-face calls for a while but it'll be an important augmentation. I think things like medical education, that kind of thing will be preferentially done virtually because you can just get a, a broader, more interested audience that way. It's a lot more cost-effective. So, you know, won't go into all the, all the uh, pros and cons and the things that we've learned, but there's definitely things we'll continue to do as a result of what we went through during the pandemic. Jim Shea here. Actually, uh, I'm, I'm going to probe a little bit more on that because uh, that was an interesting answer. And your previous answer about not liking a doing video interaction in, in teaching, this is all coming together for me and, and making me think a bit. So on the business side, what are some of the things that were successful that you've done during the pandemic and that you think you're going to be able to continue to do after the pandemic? Yeah, I think I kind of mentioned one of the big things is really bringing education to our customers. I think that's a, it's, a, it's more effective virtually for a lot of reasons. One, one is you can do it at any time. You know, it doesn't have to be over dinner where physicians or healthcare professionals need to drive to a venue and take time to do that. Secondly, if, if they're going to sign on at seven at night for a program with a, a respirologist or a pediatrician or a cardiologist, they're generally motivated to do so. They're doing it because they want the information. They want to learn. Otherwise, they wouldn't bother. So, and it's cost effective, you know, for companies. And fourthly, we've been able to bring physicians and other healthcare professionals in from across the country into one venue, which some folks seem to like. You know, they like to they like the idea of, okay, what are, you know, Dr. Smith, what are you guys doing in BC? What's going on there? You know, what's going on in Quebec? And, and so I've been in a, quite a few interactions where that's happened, where you know, it just went through the sort of interchange between the audience in different parts of the country about you know, what kind of access do you have to these medicines, what, what's going on politically here. And, and it just creates a, a much more robust learning experience and environment. So, you know, I really see that as being, and we're going to continue that doing that in a big way. Not that we won't do live in-person meetings as well. I think that'll be important too, but it'll be a good mix of, of both. Right. That's an interesting point that no one's brought up so far in this series. Mm-hmm. Well, we're listening to Jim Hall, the GM of Colvis Pharma on the NPC podcast. So Jim, yeah, just continuing those last few points you had, I had lunch with someone on Friday who was saying their organization is making a point of leasing electric vehicles for all of their customer facing reps and for the executives, just as a statement about sustainability and being on top of advanced tech. I thought that was kind of fascinating, but all of us are sort of being shaken up by the tech advances over the last two years. How has high tech made itself felt at your group at Covis? Well, we, we don't have everybody driving Teslas, but um, you know, I, I don't know. Like I think we're all trying to figure out, okay, 
with this new way of interacting either internally or with our customers, how do we leverage that maximally? But our company really hasn't, I don't think we're on the forefront of that. You know, I think we're sort of, we're early adopters maybe. So we're going to wait for the innovators to do what they, they're going to do, see what, what happens, and then maybe jump on that. We certainly are building our internal IT capability as a small growing company. And that's been really important. And a part of their mandate is, is to look at, okay, how do we use digital media technology to bring more value to our customers? But in terms of big ideas, big things that we're doing, other than what I've already mentioned, you know, which is really looking for ways to connect more seamlessly and at optimal times with our customers, we, we really don't have any other main, major tech initiatives ongoing. Interesting. Yeah, talking about electric vehicles, I was looking at your bio and you've got a bachelor's degree in chemical engineering. Maybe you should go looking at some uh, battery technology, but uh, you have that. You also have an MBA. How has that formal education actually translated into your business career at this point? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I, I would say, you know, as an engineer in particular, you, you learn a certain discipline of problem solving and breaking down a problem. You tend to be analytical, which I am. So, you know, when I started my career, I started in, a, in an analytical role and, and was able to parlay that into more leadership level roles. I think probably a large part is my background in engineering with problem solving and, and the analytical part, but also chemical engineering with the interest in science. I mean, I'm fascinated by science and, and studying things, understanding how and why they work. And I think that's really served me well in the pharmaceutical industry for obvious reasons. And then the MBA was a way to layer on the business side of it. So for me, I think, and, and actually the MBA is what got me into the industry. It was a co-op work term at Searle Pharmaceuticals, which doesn't exist anymore, but I'm sure you guys may have heard of it. So with the MBA co-op, got in there, got an analytical role, loved the environment, loved the science that was there, and met some incredible people, and things went from there. But to this day, I still utilize, you know, not directly things I learned, like in some systems course or something in my engineering program, but the general way of thinking, you know, and breaking down a problem, I think I still use to this day. Well, you're one of those guys that has that analytical side plus the personal people side. So that's you know, from what I gather and from meeting you and talking to you personally, uh, you're one of those few who've merged and melded that stuff together because the analytics don't necessarily go well necessarily with people skills too. So it's a testament to you and uh, that the uh, community and the culture that you have uh, right now at your organization. So well done. Yeah, thanks, Jim. I mean, it hasn't come naturally for me. So like you say, I'm you know, as an analytical person, I, I'm less touchy-feely, <laughs> you know, I, I think I'm fairly empathetic, but I, you know, I'm not overly extroverted, but I've had, you know, I've had the benefit in my career of some incredible mentors, people that helped me to learn how to connect with people and lead, you know, even with that analytical mindset. I think without that, I, I wouldn't have ended up where I am now. I would have probably maybe been working in a lab somewhere or doing something more analytically focused, but Great point. And, uh, I, you know, it's just people that, you know, affect you in your life are the most important thing, I, I, I believe. Jim, it's Mark again. You're a volunteer member, I see, at the Canadian Orthopedic Foundation and uh, also a volunteer consortium member at the Mississauga Life Sciences Consortium. So can you tell us a little bit more about your volunteer work, how you approach it? 
Sure. Well, first, I should probably update my LinkedIn profile because both of those things are I'm not doing any longer. So the McKinney Orthopedic Foundation, I, I served my nine years tenure on the board. So that's as long as for that board I could, I could serve. But it was a really great experience. A guy named Mike Cluche got me on there. He was on and he asked me to, to take over for him. And I learned a lot and, and uh, it was a lot of fun. The Consortium with Mississauga was a really interesting initiative that lasted for a couple of years. It was um, Bonnie Crombie kind of set it up and uh, she wanted to have government, industry, not just pharma, but, but various industries, but of course, pharma come together and talk about how do we create this life science sort of environment in Mississauga. And um, it, it was pretty cool. We, we've met many times and, um, and I think with a change in, in guard there, it kind of morphed and trans- transitioned to something else. And then I moved on, but I thought it was a great initiative, a great idea and very impressive that, you know, senior politicians recognize the importance of a, a vibrant, healthy pharmaceutical healthcare sector. Well, back to your LinkedIn profile, you see you've had leadership positions at many different organizations, starting with Pharmacia in 1988, or, or was it called Upjohn then? I don't know. But what would you say makes Covis Pharma different from its peers? You know, something that other organizations could learn how to do their jobs a little bit better. Hmm. Well, first of all, it was Searle in 1988 that merged with Upjohn and became Pharmacia. So you were close. I'm, I'm impressed. I would say our vision, our local Canadian vision and tagline is, is, is new, fresh and different. And that's what we kind of went out with when we started. And we wanted to let everybody know that we were new, obviously. And then we, we used the words fresh and different because we worked with a consultant that told us those words actually resonate and mean something to people. <laughs> so, and we wanted to communicate that, you know, that we were going to be different than others. And, and then we said the way that we were going to be different was to be responsive to needs. So, you know, I've been in organizations, large ones, where you get asked or a sales rep get, gets asked for some support and it takes two or three months, to, you know, to get back to that customer, either with a yes or a no. And that can be incredibly frustrating for our customers. So, you know, we committed to whether it's yes or no, we're going we're gonna to respond quickly, like within a week, within days to any request that was made of us. And in order to do that, of course, you have to have good internal communication, interaction, and decision-making that's brisk and agile. So I, I think we did achieve that. That was something that I think was different from other big pharma that I came from. And, and I think that's just inherent with large companies. You have more, you know, more layers of decision-making. I would say, other than that, a lot of the things I learned at Estellus Roche Pharmacia, I put in practice at Covis. I mean, those companies were great companies that did things exceedingly well in terms of strategy, uh, setting strategy and executing. So I borrowed a lot from there, but we did it. We tried to do it in a much more nimble, agile way. And we could do that because we're a small company, not many people that, that you know, needed to be involved in any, any decision that needed to be made. Oh, that's a good answer. I guess the freshness test has nothing to do with the touchy-feely Pillsbury Doughboy kind of thing. You wouldn't have liked that as a blue person. Yeah. Poke, are you fresh? But that's not a bad idea, Jim. We should have had maybe that, a chubby little icon that we could poke, you know, or whatever. But Exactly. Well, I mean, uh, we're coming down to uh, the most important part of this whole discussion, and that's where 
we put uh, our guests in a position where they can't escape from from what we're doing. We're going to uh, basically uh, force you to play our word association game. And I'm going to blurt out a, a word or a phrase that I have actually no idea about. And then you're going to be invited to respond with the first thing that enters your mind. So are you ready to play? I am. Okay, well, good luck. Inflation. Start of the universe. Interesting. 10 points. Hey, you didn't see that coming, did you? <laughs> no, no, no. I was going to say the price of gas, but I thought that would be boring. Uh, okay, how about Avogadro's number in points? How's that? <laughs> 6.23 times 10 to the minus 20. Or 10 to the 20. There you go. Ontario election. Well, there's a good one. I don't know who I'm going to vote for. Confused. Ron Clark. Friend, really great guy, high integrity, and a great leader. Million points. Mississauga Pill Hill. Big Pharma. 27 points. Canadian Healthcare Marketing Hall of Fame. Oh, boy. Uh, unique, fun, and, and greatly appreciated. And I hope we're doing it again this year. They let just about anybody in there, I understand. I know. <laughs> Other people named Jim Hall. Oh, boy. Uh, confusion at golf tournaments. Showing up at the wrong golf cart. Infinite confusion. Infinite points. Absolutely. So it's uh, going to be me again. And to wrap things up, I'm going to be asking you to put on your soothsayer's hat. I'm going to be wearing, actually, my Alcatraz swim coach because there's still some rough waters out there that everybody is still uh, trying to maneuver around. So you put on your hat from the summer collection of Meyer the Hatter, and we're going to enter our prognostication corner. And here's the big question for uh, a Googleplex of points. What predictions do you have for the life sciences industry during the upcoming 12 to 24 months? I mean, we're going to be redefining a lot of things, not just in pharma, but all of healthcare. I think that the pandemic has really exposed a lot of cracks and issues with our healthcare system, you know, from long-term care to hospitals to affordability of healthcare. I mean, we, those things have always been evident, but it's, I think it's taken a crisis for people to take it seriously. I think it's going to require leadership. So our politicians sadly seem to only still be talking in general terms and not getting specific, which is why I said I'm confused with the election because I, you know, I don't know what we're going to hear. But I'm in my class that I teach, that, that's the question, first question I ask the students to grapple with is, you know, and have been for eight years, eight or nine years. I give them some stats like over 50% of our tax dollars in Ontario go to healthcare. You know, it's only going to get worse lineups, you know, at hospitals and wait times, you know, what's your solution? If you're a politician, what would you do? So I think there's a reckoning. I really do. I don't know if it'll be in the next 24 months, but probably. And finally, I think that private healthcare needs to be acknowledged that it's here now and it should be actually allowed to occur in a, in a more thoughtful way to take some pressure off the public system. And again, that's going to take some leadership from politicians, which you know, I'm not sure if, if that exists, but anyways. Uh, that's the third rail of uh, Canadian politics, but probably inevitable. Jim, thanks for sharing your insights with our listeners. We'll look forward to seeing you this November at the uh, Mississauga Convention Centre when we resume our annual in-person National Pharma Congress on November 2nd. And uh, I'll point out that attendance is obligatory. You'll remember that from your work with the Mississauga Life Sciences Consortium. That rule comes directly from uh, 
ex-mirror Hazel McCallion. Oh, right. <laughs> you don't want to disappoint her. Exactly. And, and to you listeners, we'll speak again next week. If you have questions for Jim, or the other Jim, or comments for us about today's conversation, tag us on Twitter at 2021NPC. You can also send email to health at chronicle.org. If you attach your voice clip to the message, you might appear in an upcoming episode. We hope you liked today's NPC podcast. If you did, please share it with your colleagues. Find us at Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The NPC podcast is presented in cooperation with Imprez, Canada's next generation commercial partner. See everything they have to offer at www.imprez.com. I am your announcer, Leona Void. Speaking. The podcast producer is Jeremy Visser. Research for this program came from Christine Abraham and Kevin Anthony. The musical theme is performed with jaw-dropping intricacy by the NPC Podcast Orchestra, under the direction of Maestro Mayudi Milbrook. We'll be back next week with our guest, James Cran, founder of Pharma Consultants. James will welcome your questions, so please send them along. Until we speak again, stay safe.